0: Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey.
1: Were you ever in Rainbow Village in 85?
2: Get the fuck off my property. Were you? Get the fuck off my property. You know what that fucking
3: means? I'm calling the police, All fucker. right. <laughs> what Grateful Dead is about is about karma... It's about mercy and generosity. It has nothing to do with monsters. I don't think it was a deadhead that did that.
1: Dennis McNally, longtime publicist for The Grateful Dead and the band's official biographer. The
3: values of deadheads were very consciously benign. Deadheads made a commitment to celebrate life, to celebrate the dead, to be kind to your neighbors, to be inclusive. If you were in the building, if you were going to the show, then you were a brother or a sister, take your pick. When you run off to join the circus and you put yourself out on the road, and particularly if you're quite young, then these things you know, certainly can happen. Vulnerability, which at times is just a sort of a naivete. There's such a thing as pronoia. Pronoia is the reverse of paranoia. Paranoia is when you think somebody's following you, something bad is going to happen, the world's going to come to an end. Pronoia is this confidence, not always justified, that everything's going to be fine. Everybody we meet is gonna be good to us. If there was a, uh, a reigning belief system amongst data, pronoia was certainly much more likely than paranoia. I think 99.999% of the time, it might result in some minor, you know, selling them a hit of acid that was an aspirin tablet. That happened to me once. I, th- I think I did pay for it. Nothing happened, you know, literally. I mean, you know, gee, I'm not high, hmm. <laughs> no headache. It's a big world and it's full of a lot of people. I can't think of, in some cases, of an easier set of victims. There is a stereotype that, you know, all deadheads are 19, broke, filthy, living in the parking lot. And the fact is that we are everywhere. There are endless numbers of U.S. senators and politicians and on and on and on and on. Jerry's been gone for 25 years. There are more deadheads now than there ever have been. It grows. And that's ridiculous. They did something that's impossible. They broke every rule of how you get famous and how you succeed in the music business. They did nothing right and succeeded because of that. The amount of negative stuff that happened, the 30 years of the Grateful Dead and the 25 years since, is astonishingly low.
1: I was at a crossroad in this story. Where do I go from here? Through all the people I've met and the stories I've heard, it feels quite possible that Ralph International Thomas did not commit these murders. 35 years later, sadly, there's just no way to know for sure, barring something like a confession. At this point, Bo was out of the picture. Pretty sure if I tried to knock on his door again, he'd just shoot me. Weston, on the other hand, was being much more helpful. and this, I truly did appreciate. I reached out to Weston again, to arrange one last conversation. My approach this time was going to be a little different. I'm going to put my own personal speculation to the side, and simply confront Weston with some court documents. Throughout Ralph's entire appeal process, many people testified about what they knew, and Weston's name comes up a lot. I want to show Weston these documents. For all I know, he's never even seen them before. I'm going to play you a mostly raw conversation between Weston and I occasionally interjecting with some personal thoughts, mostly in hindsight. I met Weston at his storage unit again. This time, he was playing Grateful Dead music from his phone the whole time I was talking to him. In case you're wondering where that's coming from. Do you remember a guy named Cho? Joe. Cho. Cho. Oh, the Asian guy. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember what he looked like. Cho testified that during conversation about the murder, the first paragraph in the court documents I showed Weston was this one. Later that morning, Mr. Cho was on the dead-on bus alone with Bo and Weston. Cho was talking about the discovery of Mary's body and asked Bo and Weston what they did the night before. Bo replied, We went swimming in the bay last night. When Bo said that, Weston jabbed Bo in the ribs with his elbow and gave him a quote-unquote look. Bo immediately broke off the conversation, and he and Weston quickly left the bus and appeared to leave Rainbow Village in a hurry. Do you recall that? No.
4: I don't elbow anybody in the ribs. I'm a, I I don't violate people's space. I mean, that's why I was a dancer, you know? I got my three feet of vortex, and I would always apologize if I ran into touch somebody, and it usually never happened. One every five or six shows, I would actually touch somebody.
1: The last time you saw Bo was that day in Berkeley, right? Where you kind of had the interaction with him? yep. What was the last time you saw him before that? You saw him then, but Yeah, he was... was there that night. I mean, I, the night before,
4: the night that it happened, I guess. When did you see him then? I didn't, I heard him. You could. I could. It was in the bus, I never left the bus. I was always in the bus. But Bo was in the bus with you? No, no, you could hear him in the campfire. Bo, too? Yeah, because he had a certain laugh. You could You could tell by his laugh. It was kind of a whinny, horsey laugh. <laughs>
5: <laughs>
4: he must have been cracking up at some point, so I knew he was there. So Bo was there with who else at the fire? I don't know. It was Greg and Mary and International mm. and
1: that red-haired gal. The, I forgot her name. When did you see him? Like? You heard him there, but what was the last time you saw him before the last time you saw him? Uh,
4: probably saw him at the Greeks.
1: Did you see him that day at all? Is that not that like day. that night like we saw him the next day after they were murdered Did you see him that night before or the day before that? I don't think so. I don't know Please there's no reason for
4: me to even I never hung out with the guy He wasn't he wasn't a friend
1: Remember a guy named Daniel Adams? Yeah. They refer to him as Mr. Adams in this but he <laughs> said uh, oh, I mean in this paragraph. I'm showing you I see
4: Oh, my name comes up again? Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah, they actually have my last name? Oh, yeah. How'd they get my last name?
1: Nobody knew my last name. You overheard a conversation between you and Bo. A man named Daniel Adams saw Bo in Rainbow Village the morning Mary's body was found. According to Mr. Adams, Bo appeared to be in a hurry to leave. He seemed nervous, agitated. That morning before the body was discovered, Mr. Adams overheard Bo in a conversation with someone he believed to be Weston. Bo said, sometimes a man's gotta do what a man's gotta do. The statement made Mr. Adams uncomfortable. Sometime after Mary's body was discovered, Mr. Adams saw Bo and Weston leave Rainbow Village together in Bo's silver Volkswagen. Really? Do you recall that? No. Also said that he saw you leave with Bo from Rainbow Village in his Mm -hmm. Volkswagen. Nah.
4: I had to walk. I walked in, I walked out. It's a long walk. It's like a mile and a half to the bottom of the bottom of whatever that big street is in Berkeley that you have to take a bus from. Okay. Yeah, I didn't have any transportation.
1: Robert and his girlfriend Toma witnessed a confrontation in their living room between Bo and Weston. They both testified that Bo was sitting on the couch. Weston knelt down a few feet in front of him and yelled angrily, How could you do it? How can you sleep at night? How can you live with yourself? Why were you washing your hands in the early morning at the bathroom?
4: Huh. No, no confrontation like that because I didn't have any knowledge. I didn't.
1: It is weird, right? Only people say all this stuff that that you don't remember any of it?
4: Well, you know, the way I understand it is if you have five witnesses, you have five different stories. (laughs) I don't know, but I didn't have any knowledge of the event itself, so I couldn't have given any input.
1: Are these stories
4: true? Um, I didn't. I don't know anything about washing hands or. The only interaction I had with Bo was I saw him the day after when he told me that they had they had died. They had gotten killed, and and he said he was splitting. And I'm sounds like a good idea. And I went back to Rainbow Village and got my stuff off the bus, locked the bus up, and left.
1: Is there any chance you may be? saw something suspicious, but you just don't want to say it because you're afraid to implicate yourself? Not saying that you did it, but like, no one cares anymore. It's been 35 years.
4: Uh, No, because then I'd have to wear the karma of that all the time. And my karma's clean. I mean, I don't feel weird about any of that. I mean, the only thing I felt weird about was laughing when I heard about it. Because it felt inappropriate. You know, like, and I dealt with that in like therapy and going to NA meetings and talking about it, and, you know. But the only knowledge I had of it was when I heard about it the next day. I didn't even know about it. So I don't know how I could have said anything about washing hands. because And nobody went swimming in the bay anyway. That was nasty water.
1: Well, I mean, Mary and Greg were in the bay. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Swimming? I think they were swimming. I think that's where their bodies were done. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know that either. I mean, if you were me, we oh. were doing a report on this, and you saw this document... Well, it looks it- like
4: that kind of Im- implicates me, like, I had some knowledge about it, but I didn't. I didn't even know Bo. I mean, I, I knew him as a competitor, you know, at Deadland. Everyone you says know? that
1: you did know Bo, and that you left for Chico with
4: the No, I hitchhiked. I didn't leave with him. He left. He left right away. I had to go back out to Rainbow Village and grab my stuff.
1: I still don't know the last time you saw him before that. Like, can you describe the last time you physically saw him before that day in Berkeley where you laughed and you felt guilty about it?
4: I physically saw him?
1: Yes. Maybe at the Greeks? like 10 days I
3: mean, you before. You had to seen him that night, didn't
4: you? Wasn't he staying in the bus with you? No, he didn't. He wasn't allowed to be in Richard's bus. I got special permission to get into Richard's bus.
1: How'd you know he was there if you didn't see
4: it? Because I could hear his laugh. I heard his laugh at the campfire. The campfire was like within 20 feet of the bus. It was in between two rows of buses. There was a whole bunch of people that were hanging out.
1: Do you see that it kind of looks like there's a big blank when you don't remember seeing him, which would be the time of the murders? You saw him at the Greeks.
4: Yeah. Then you Maybe, heard his boys. I don't even know if I saw him at the Greeks, to tell you the truth. I mean, probably. You know, he's he's a peddler like me, so he's going to be somewhere up on the strip on right. Shakedown Street. You know. But him and I were competitors. We weren't friends.
1: It's just strange to me that all these different people would have these stories that associate you and Bo differently than the way you're remembering it. And just the odds of them all being wrong or remembering them incorrectly or lying or seem slim, you know?
4: Well, I don't know. I didn't have any, I never confronted anybody on it because I didn't have any knowledge about it to confront anybody with. So, I mean, I would know if I had feelings about that, you know? If somebody had done something wrong, I'd have to carry the karma with that with me all the time and it would've ate a hole
1: in me. I mean, it just kind of sounds like that night that Robert says that you were at his apartment confronting Bo, that you had at least a feeling or suspicion that he may have been involved, not that you saw it go down. Who's Robert? the guy who Bo was staying with and he recall I talked to him recently maybe recalls, they were staying together but I, yeah, I wasn't I he was... recalls you being at his house the one night in his living room confronting Bo and the next day Bo up and vanished entirely but you were asking him how do you sleep at night why were you washing your hands if anything that makes it look like you didn't do it and that you maybe saw something weird and were like trying mm-hmm. to confront the dude about it
4: are you sure you got the right person? They they might be thinking of somebody else. I mean another Weston? No. But I I was the only I, I had the long hair, I mean, long blonde hair. I, I didn't never lived in Chico until that time. That was the first time I ever moved to Chico. If I could help you I would, but
1: I, I don't just know anything. It seems weird, man. Like I, I don't I mean, I obviously don't know what happened, but like just all these different stories that involve you and Bo and you remember specific details, but then you're super gray on the details that seem like they matter, and you feel which guilty which, about this conversation you had where you laugh. Is there any other guilt that's really there or something like that? I kind of, it, I that think?
4: I kind of bailed. I mean, I bailed. You know, I didn't yeah. stick around to find out what really happened. Yeah. Uh, I maybe maybe there's some guilt with that. I don't know, but I just I split. I didn't. I had warrants in San Francisco. I wasn't gonna hang out to find out anything.
1: I had a picture of Mary Joya on my phone, and I randomly pulled it out to show Weston. This is you know,
4: Mary, right? I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. It looks like her, sort
6: of. Hmm.
4: I knew she had dark hair, that's about it. Yeah. I mean, they were just spare change kids. I didn't really know them, you know? The only reason I was at Rainbow Village was because I was, I needed a place to stay until the Jerry shows, and the Jerry shows are supposed to start in a couple days. And I didn't have a place to stay and I was out of money. So I called Richard and asked him if I could stay on his bus. I wasn't outside, I was, I was dead to the world. You know, I was in the bus. doesn't sound like, it sounds like you heard everyone's voices uniquely. Well, you know, I'm laying down. You know, you so could you hear. Just sleep early for some reason? Did you not feel well? Or no. It was nine, ten o'clock. I mean, you there's nothing to early? do. There's nothing to do there. I mean, there's there's no electricity. There's no TVs. I mean, there's no cell You're phones. Party, and I'm not I'm not the nighttime social guy. I'm I'm the guy that gets up at four thirty, five o'clock every morning, and I get more done by nine, ten o'clock in the morning than most people get done all day. How you wake up the next day? Um, 7 or 8 o'clock, 6, 7, 8 o'clock, I don't know, left early, went into Berkeley to, to go score. My friend, my friend was supposed to have some sheets for me. He was going to front me some sheets, but couldn't find them. So I'm up there looking around, waiting until about 11, 12, maybe 1 o'clock, and that's when I ran into Bo, early afternoon.
7: Mm-hmm.
4: And he told me about what was going on out there at Rainbow Village, and I couldn't believe it. it, didn't sound right. But he said he was leaving, sounds like a good idea. But by the time I got, I mean, he was gone. He left on his own. But I don't think he had a car. He had a car?
1: Yeah. Wow, I didn't know he could afford a car. People spotted you and him in the car together. No way. What?
4: They must have gotten me confused with somebody
1: else. I went back to one of my questions again, one that was really bothering me. He saw Bo outside Rainbow Village the day after the murders, and they talked to each other. So they clearly knew each other before that. So when was the last time Weston saw Bo before this? Literally any instance of seeing him at all before that. But do you remember when you last saw Bo before that? Why would I? I mean, just how you remember anything else.
4: He wasn't a friend of mine, so I don't...
1: You saw Bo that next day in Berkeley. Yeah. You obviously knew of him. Yeah. Because you spoke to each other. Yeah. But when was the last time you saw him before that? I have no clue. Maybe at the Greeks, maybe. When was that? Like a week and a
4: half before. Seven days before, eight days before. So you
1: never physically saw him in Rainbow Village that time? No.
4: No. Because I didn't hang out at the fire. I wasn't a nighttime person. But
1: you knew he was there. Yeah. You never saw him with your eyes? No. Who did you see with your eyes then? Anybody? Nobody, because I was in the bus. What
4: time did you get into the bus? Probably 7.30, 8 o'clock, it was already dark.
1: So you didn't see anybody as you walked towards the bus? The only person I saw was Hans. Oh no, that was the next day. That was the next day I saw Hans. For some reason he's calling Klaus Hans now. It just seems odd that you were able to kind of slip in and slip out, you were conveniently there. I mean, all you did was hear stuff, you didn't see anything. Right yet you're sort of implicated in these stories with Bo of having more knowledge. But you don't remember the last time you saw Bo, except for that one time in Berkeley. Do you see how it looked for me? Like, as someone who's kind of putting together an investigative report. You know what I mean? Yeah. Doesn't look good, right?
4: I don't care. I, I don't, I, I, me and Bo were competitors. We didn't hang out, we weren't friends. I certainly don't remember anything up in Chico going to this guy's Robert's house. I don't know what story that is. Is Cause he misremembering? Because I, I, I certainly didn't confront anybody. Because I didn't have any knowledge to confront anybody with. So I don't know what to say. They must, it's, they must, they must have thought got somebody else, and thought it was me or something. Because I'm not a confrontational guy. I don't, I don't address people on their shit. It's not my place. I didn't mind my own fucking no business. No history of
1: confrontations with anybody, anything?
4: Not that I can think of. I mean, I've gotten punched too many times to be involved in. I learned my lesson. You don't get involved in other people's shit.
1: You know, we're digging into everybody and their public records. Sure. And there was a thing that we found with you in Wisconsin in the early 90s that didn't look very good.
4: Yeah, I did some time in Wisconsin. Yeah. I cleaned
1: it up. I ended up
4: flying back with eleven years clean in two thousand and one. The assault. Oh, are you talking about the thing with Sparrow? On my birthday. Yeah, we got into a fight.
1: That no, was a, a lady with a shower rod and Yeah, it was my girlfriend.
4: What happened? It was my birthday and I had too much Jaegermeister. Really? It was my twenty first birthday. And we got into it we were living together and I was, teeny little it wasn't even a one bedroom it was a it was a um, studio you share a bathroom with another apartment yeah one of those college college room deal kind of things yeah we lived together probably almost a year and then we ended up moving someplace else over to I forgot what the name of that street was it didn't break us up I did I did some time on it but we were still we hung out. We still we stayed as a couple. They made it into more than it was. Whatever. Yeah. They made it seem like I beat the hell out of her with a curtain rod or something like that. But it wasn't. Yeah. Nah. What really happened? It was a drunk argument. We were both drunk and it was over missing missing LSD. Me and Sparrow were
1: we were a couple, probably for seven more months. Can I be honest with you? Sure. I feel like you're not telling me the
4: truth. Telling you everything I know. Told you the same thing be- last time you were here. Same thing this time.
1: What do you make of all these stories that involve you? Isn't it strange to you?
4: No, because I think somebody's misremembering me as somebody else. Who would that person be? I don't know, but it's got to be somebody else with long blonde hair, and
1: with, dreads. With the name Weston?
4: No, I was the only one with Weston.
1: So the stories that I told you in the court documents—what's your response to that?
4: You got the wrong person. They must be thinking of somebody else. Maybe they misremembered after 30. That was that happened at the time yes. at the at the court case.
1: Yeah, that was years at, ago.
4: I was fresh. <laughs> I don't know. Cause that wasn't me. I didn't, I couldn't confront anybody on anything cause I didn't have any knowledge of anything. What was there to confront. But there's also
1: multiple people who, who say they saw you with Bo in Rainbow Village.
4: That's interesting.
1: And you don't even remember seeing him there.
4: Nope. I heard him, I heard him at the campfire and I knew Greg and Mary were there because they were gathering wood to bring to the fire. And they were making a big deal about that. And I could hear the argument between them and International about the Vietnam War.
1: And Bo was there during that too? I don't know. We said he, he was there. Mm,
4: he was there during the campfire. But the, the argument happened much later than that. It was like probably an hour, hour and a half later after the, after the fire started. How long were you laying there in bed listening? Probably two hours, I guess. It wasn't so much listening as just slumbering and hanging out. Right. You know, I mean, I'm, you know, I didn't really, there's nothing to do there, man. There's no electricity. It's dark. I didn't have any candles. I wasn't in a dark bus. What else is there to do? You either sleep off and and slept off. I woke up when I could hear the argument, you know, so I must have passed out, you know. Who do you think killed Greg and Mary? I thought International did. I thought he confessed to it.
1: He never did. Well, then how'd he get convicted? No one besides you has ever said that he confessed. He never confessed. Then how'd he get convicted? bad circumstantial evidence of being
4: the black guy in Rainbow Village. Yikes,
1: that's ugly. Yep. Mm.
4: If I knew something, I'd tell you, but I don't have any knowledge. I didn't even physically see people. I just heard, overheard people that I think that were at the fire. And the argument between the, the two kids, the spirit change kids and international over Vietnam. that's why i'm thinking it's just a mistake you know mistaken they got me maybe they because i don't remember them so how would they know me maybe
1: there's a lot of different people who are pointing to you
4: like more than three people
1: yeah more than three
4: people interesting i don't know who would think i confronted
1: somebody well robert does Robert. I mean, I asked him again and again, and he is very certain that it was you.
4: I wish you the best of luck in your search.
1: Thank you.
4: Fuck. it opens up some unknowns. I hope I don't get dragged into the karmic void of that. Because I thought, I, you know, I, I knew I was clean, so it doesn't matter to me. So
1: then you wouldn't be dragged into it.
4: Yeah, but... Other people saying things about me that I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. I, all I can think of is that they got me confused with somebody else, must be, because I would never confront any. I'm not a confrontational person. I wouldn't even confront ex girlfriends that were cheating on me. I mean, I just, that's not my speed.
7: Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today.
6: Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. There is
8: no silver lining. Ralph's dead, Greg's dead, Mary's
2: dead. I'm back with Anne and Robert. It's just a long, tragic tale, and just a, an indictment of criminal justice in America. If Ralph was somebody of means, if he was white, had money for a private attorney, there's no way, there's just no way that the circumstantial evidence would have held up because the other people would have been interviewed and there would have been enough doubt of what really happened. It's not a silver lining, it's just an underlining. How many people really have been either put to death or died on death row? Or had their lives completely destroyed if they were falsely accused of something? If you're a person of means that can afford a lawyer Be thankful because you are insulated from the U.S. justice system. Anybody else is a pawn in the game and could fall victim to spending their life in jail, being innocent. The public defender system, I mean, how can you possibly get justice for somebody if your caseload is so gigantic you don't even meet the person you're defending until the day of the trial? I mean, the whole thing is just outrageous. There isn't justice if you don't have the money for a lawyer. And then, on the other hand, if you do, if you have super deep pockets, you can literally get away with murder.
8: Educate yourself. We all know it's there. We all know it exists. Systemic discrimination against people of color. Read black people's stories. Until you read some of those people's stories, I don't think you really understand in your gut what we're talking about. It's just a word. Read the stories and listen to black voices.
2: There is white privilege, and that doesn't mean that anybody that's white should feel like they are guilty of something. It's just to find the empathy. Ask yourself if you're white, when was the last time the color of your skin impacted your financial outlook, your social outlook, your everyday existence. When was it that your your skin color, that your white skin caused you a problem? I, I personally, I've never had that problem. You know, I think that the whole deadhead thing, you kind of had some empathy drilled into you just because In a small way, not in any way is it equal, but there was a long, long time where just having long hair, maybe kind of a bit of a ragamuffin, the police definitely would shake us down. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I was really happy to get out of uh, suburban New Jersey. We would get pulled over just because we had Grateful Dead stickers on our car and we had long hair. That was probable cause. We were profiled. It happened to all of us, right? I mean, get out of the car right now. Put your hands up against the car. You're like, what did we do? And they would just say, we smell marijuana. No, you don't, you know? We've learned our lesson, you know? I mean, sometimes they were probably right. You know, that was probably a big empathy-building thing for a lot of the, the heads. I mean, there's not a big spectrum of color in the whole deadhead culture, but there is a very open mind. Everybody was embraced that I ever experienced. You have a lot, a lot, a lot of great people, a lot of beautiful people, a lot of just really super creative people. Actually, it was a place for like a clearinghouse for social causes. And the Grateful Dead funneled a lot of their money through the Rex Foundation into those causes. At the concerts, you would come upon groups that were organized, like, that had tables with information, you know, about different social justice causes, about environmental causes. That was a place to learn about those things if you didn't already know about them. Just, I mean, it's overwhelming, the amount of, like, energy and just, you know, freedom to cut loose, I think it represented freedom. And I think a lot of people, they wanted to kind of fly that flag. You're proud of this thing that you've found. It's like you've got the gospel. I still have Grateful Dead stickers on my car. I'll go through periods of time where I'm like, oh no, I want to be lower. I want to kind of blend in, you know? No, I'm not gonna put any stickers on this car. Eventually I do. And how many times have you been rolling down the street with the window down, somebody pulls up next to you and it's the recognition, you know? They're like, hey! And you know where you see somebody else has those stickers on their car. And you just drive by and you kind of glance at them. There's a recognition there, you know? Now, sometimes they might have bought the car used and the stickers (laughs) came on the car, you know? And they don't know what the hell you're talking about. It's kind of like being a proud member of an organization. A very loose organization. <laughs> I don't know if it's organized at all. <laughs> Organism. <laughs> you know, I'm not a religious person. I'm just not, like, I've never been into, like, organized religion. And that's fine, you know? I mean, I know that most of the world does that. And that's their group. But when I found the Grateful Dead and that scene, It was almost a religious experience without all the trappings. You kind of look around and everybody is in the same mindset. You're all connected.
0: Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. The
5: Hargan women seem to have it all.
0: From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing.
4: But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household.
1: Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering.
4: I'm Peter Vance Sant from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, The Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, The Hargan Family Killings,
5: wherever you get your podcasts. He just sounds like every liar I've ever heard in my life. Like, he, he just sounds like he thinks he's a good liar and he thinks he's getting over on you, but he's really just completely full of shit. And... <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know, man.
1: I'm talking to Jake Brennan, my co-host on the podcast.
5: Not to be too hippy-dippy about it, but I really believe in the shit. And I feel like the universe kind of guided our hand in this, in a way. I think we didn't expect the podcast series to be this type of podcast. It was supposed to be more of almost like an anthology type of thing, looking at different stories that happened. And exactly. then, then you got this email and it opened it up and we decided we're going to go down this route. COVID hits and all of a sudden we can't produce the show in any sort of way that we would have produced the show. Right. And and that it I don't know, I feel like I feel like the fact that no one was doing anything it allowed it allowed you this entry into this world that might have been tougher if we weren't in the middle of a national lockdown essentially and and you were able to kick things up and kick up dust that might not have been possible before you know i was thinking about this today when i was thinking about the show and thinking about you know it's coming to an end and i was thinking the grateful dead never really ended i mean they never really broke up so they they ended they ended of course when jerry died but you know there was no like you know when the beatles broke up there was (laughs) there was not there was none of that it just kind of It just kind of, you know, stopped because, you know, Jerry passed away and but the band just, if anything, grew more in some ways uh, since his death. I think about that in relation to Dead and Gone. And it's just got my head spinning in a million different ways that we can continue to do this and take this into, you know, a next season. I mean, there's other stories out there that we know about.
1: I do think that there is a real sincere value in this idea of crowdsourcing an investigation from a fan base like The Grateful Dead helping solve something. We talked about it in the first episode with billy jensen and it kind of evolved from there and you know sure enough we have this web of deadheads that we ended up finding who had all these different stories about Bo and weston right i feel like there's so many other stories and cases out there that are unsolved if we use this fan base again there's probably countless stories that could be covered and hopefully some more truth to be uncovered
5: i agree wholeheartedly I'm stoked to get into it. Whatever we got to do, let's do it.
8: for checking out Dead and Gone. Dead and Gone is written, hosted, and produced by Payne Lindsay and myself, Jake Brennan. Check out my other music and true crime podcast, Disgraceland, about musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly, as well as Payne's other shows, Radio Rental, Atlanta Monster, and Up and Vanished. Dead and Gone is a production of Tenderfoot TV and Double Elvis and brought to you by Cadence 13, an executive produced by Donald Albright, Payne Lindsay, Brady Sadler, and myself. This show is produced by Mike Rooney, mixed by Cooper Skinner, music by Makeup and Vanity Set, with additional music services by Ryan Spraker. Edited by Sean Kahalen, Production coordination by Matt Bowden. Copy edited by Pat Healy. Writing assistance by Taylor Bettinson. Cover design by Matt Mills for mattmillsart.com. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum and Grace Royer from UTA, Ryan Nord, Jesse Nord, and Matthew Papa from the Nord Group, Chris Corcoran and the Cadence 13 team, Beck Media and Marketing, Station 16, and the teams at Tenderfoot TV and Double Elvis. Thanks for checking out Dead and Gone. Episodes drop every Thursday. Please make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or give us a shout out on social media with the hashtag Dead and Gone, and you might win a free Dead and Gone show poster designed by Nate Gonzalez. Thanks for your support.